0: Welcome to Everything In Between, the podcast where a dad and daughter duo delve deep into topics ranging from true crime to paranormal occurrences to urban legends and, well, everything in between. I'm Emma. I'm the dad. That's a niche. Um, and I think this week, well, why don't we start?
1: No, we're not starting. We always end with that because it's the best part.
0: We end with what?
1: With Liverpool.
0: With with what segment?
1: Liverpool. 30 years, man. By kicking it into Corner? 30 years, man. No, no. We're not calling it that.
0: It's already been called that. It's too late. You're too late. Okay, fine. Then we can start with the movies. You can talk about your show that you...
1: All right. So last week I was saying this, and partially why we didn't get into it because I couldn't remember the title. (laughs) um, There's a new show, and I have to first start with... um, There's this guy. His name is um, Guz Khan, and uh, he's, I guess, a British comedian. But there was a show... On netflix called borderline that's not the one i'm actually gonna be talking about that's also funny <laughs> and it's just about this n- airport somewhere in the uk and they just deal with like border security and things like that but this guy guzz is one of the uh, baggage handlers and he is just hysterical in that and then he just got his own show on i don't i mean it's on netflix i'm not sure if it's on um like british tv or something but it's called man like mo Bean. and all i can say is that uh well, it's, it's, it's like all British film shows. You're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. But um, I, I had your brother watch it. He was even like, oh, my God. And there's, a, there's another character called Eight in it who's his friend. And as we're watching it, I'm just like, everybody had a friend like Eight. So I want to – I'm like, Chris, who's your friend? That's like Eight. If you watch it, you can tell me who your friend you – know, you, No one wants to be eight, but I'm just saying, (laughs) it's it's good. So I'm just throwing that out there. Um, And maybe it's just because, you know, dude's Indian that I like it. And it's more, it's just very, very funny and in in all things. But Man Like Mo Bean, Borderline's pretty good too. But um, that was the show. So uh, just wanted to throw that one out there. So yeah, that was my show. But go ahead, (laughs) go into the films.
0: Um, All right. Let's start
1: with, you're going to start with Last Night's? Yeah. Okay.
0: So last night, we finally, finally watched uh, Spider-Man Far From Home.
1: And Marcus, I just want you to know, I don't know if Emma was... She probably, It's going to be
0: 2021 by the time he listens to this. All right, well, but, anyway, you know.
1: all I'll say, if Marcus does listen to this before that, is that I was happy that Emma wasn't actually on her phone while we are watching the film, so she couldn't text you. But at one point, I'm like, you better text Marcus about this. Because at first, she told me that Marcus said this was phenomenal, like <laughs> unbelievable. And for like the th- first 30 minutes, I was like... I might be walking out of my basement. Because I could, and I was like, text Marcus now. But I'm just going to say, you were right, Marcus. It was great. I don't know if it's the best film of all time, but it was. Well,
0: I, he didn't say the best film of all time, but he said it, it was, was pretty damn good.
1: It was, it definitely turns a corner mm-hmm. with After 30 Minutes.
0: Yeah, I thought, it, I was laughing the whole way through. Did we
1: even mention what we watched? I don't think we even said, did we? What? Did you say What what, what it was?
0: Far From Home? Yeah,
1: I couldn't remember if you did or not.
0: That was like 10 seconds ago. How do you not Dementia. remember? Dementia. I don't know. Okay. Whatever. Wow. Okay. Well, I think that's, a, we can move on to the movie we just watched. No,
1: I just think that, well, okay, if you want. If, you're, if that's all you have for Spider-Man Far From Home.
0: I mean, I'm worried that you're going to forget more things by, before we finish.
1: It's like Inception. I'll write it on my, An uh, Inception. No, no, Inception. Oh my Honestly, God. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, Memento. That's what oh I'm my like God. <laughs> I'm going to drink some more wine. That'll make me remember.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Why don't we move on? So. Yes. We just finished, like, right before we started recording, we finished watching. Well, we were supposed
1: to watch it last week. That was the whole plan because of my story.
0: Years and years ago. Well,
1: it was more specific to my Ouija board story.
0: (laughs) Yes, that's true. We watched The Exorcist. Um, It was really good. I didn't think it was as dated as you were. Well,
1: I think the thing is that, like, we as we were watching it, and we saw it with your brother as well. But um, I, I'd seen it. I mean, I must have watched it ten times or something like that, um, not including when I was four. But, um, (laughs) and I don't think I'd seen it in thirty years. So even while we were watching it, I was kind of like, okay, yeah, I think this is exactly. So the things I even remembered were probably more pop culture things and just Mm -hmm. kind of how other shows have used it and you know just you know memes and things like that oh my god but um but I forgot how slow it it was to start off and how long it takes to get it into it and um but it's good and again the reason why I thought it was dated was just because it's not the acting so much as just the just kind of like the back it's not the backstory just the background stuff like even like when they're at the party and things like that but um and I, I'm not that I want movies to be remade by any means, but had Freakin' not passed away. And I guess bloody, I think also passed away. It would have been interesting if they produced or were creative directors to make something that was, um, a, a modern version. Um, mm-hmm. actually, you know what? I take that back. you really can't make it? Cause you have to have it in that time frame. Like, cause in that, you know, in the seventies, sixties and seventies, you know, it just like shocked the world. And, and it's based on a true story actually out of, uh, out of maryland um of a of a boy actually so he wrote it based on this boy who had this exorcism um done and you know they just changed things around and things like that but um but you have to put it in that time period because i feel like these days people are just like whatever you know what i mean it just wouldn't it wouldn't have the same feel to it like you kind of need yeah that feel but um how did you like the steps
0: well, I finally understood like how they fit into the movie because I hadn't before. Like I, I hadn't seen the movie, um, but it's a lot creepier now that I...
1: Well, you probably never would have climbed up the steps, those steps in the dark had no. you seen No, movie. I would not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll was... have to repost it. I know we posted it way back in April when we did it, but yeah, I'll do it we'll like repost episode, it of uh, Emma's walk up the steps. And oh, yeah. you have to look because Emma's in... The background at the top. All yeah. the way at yeah. the top, yeah. yeah.
0: But it was so weird to like see them in the screen. And I was like, wait a minute. I was there. Um, Yeah, okay.
1: I but we're going to was... watch The Omen next now that we're kind of in this whole yeah, um, the demon and, you know, spiritualism kind of point of everything. Mm-hmm. And I forgot actually the thing that I'm also laughing about is that I thought the Ouija board actually had a lot more prominence. The- yeah, I was gonna <laughs> I, say I thought you picked it up a, l- a little bit. I really did. And for some reason, I thought they did more with it than just that one scene. But I
0: thought, you know, I thought like we'd see some some more demon girl interaction there. Well, you know, Captain Howdy. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, I think that's our movies done. So yeah. without further ado, let's kick it on over into soccer corner.
1: There were two games this week. Not even going to acknowledge it's your a intro thing now. It's too, It's not a thing. You're, you're, it's it's too not too a like,
0: thing. It's been a thing for weeks and weeks. Not and a weeks. thing.
1: Anyway, um, the we played. Uh, uh, we had a Champions League game on Tuesday, I believe, against Gank uh, from their Belgian side. So, um, so basically, we won that game. It was a lot closer than it needed to be. We did sub a bunch of folks. Um, But the final is 2-1. Take the win. That's what what all matters. We're now at the top of the table in our Champions League group, but we still have two games left. And we play Napoli next. Actually, we play Napoli the Wednesday before uh, Thanksgiving. And I know we're going to be heading um, to Jersey for that. So pretty much our drive will be revolving around that game. So I'm just throwing that out there now. But anyway, because it's a big game. We have to win that game. If we win that game, we're we're into the knockout stage. But today... We played Manchester City at home. And going into the game, we were in first. City was actually in fourth because yesterday Leicester and Chelsea had won and went a point above City. But again, City has won two Premier League titles in the last two years, back-to-back. Hasn't happened in like 10 or 11 years or
0: something
1: like that. Whoa. And (laughs) we won 3-1. Oh, my God. And, but I will say this: It was the most uncomfortable three-one win for me ever because City is so good, and they were hurt, and they were missing players. And every time they got the ball, you were just like, "Well, they may score here." But the first goal, Fabinho, oh my god, it was Uxley Chamberlain-esque on past games of how we just kind of like <laughs> stunned them. Um, second goal was an incredible from Trent Alexander-Arnold. He swung a ball from all the way from the right all the way to the left back that was Robertson then Robertson took it and then popped it into the middle and then Salah header two nothing <laughs> and then right 5 minutes after the start of the second half Henderson who is not known for his speed by any means somehow beats some dude brings it down the sideline pops it across over the goalie Mane bang goal three nothing and you think three nothing right but no, the whole time I'm like biting my nails. I think my I was looking at my heart rate thing on my phone to see how many oh times. Oh, my God. It was crazy. Um, so you got one back with about, I don't remember how long, maybe 12 minutes in regulation time. And then they just, again, were coming and coming and coming. We had a couple chances, too, that we could have put away. But uh, it was awesome. We needed the win. We had to beat them. It's kind of like, you know, to show that we're legit. But we are now eight points in the lead <laughs> above Chelsea and Leicester. Because City is now in fourth place, and we're nine points ahead of ahead of City. Wow. But it's, it was an incredible... I, I Again, it was the most uncomfortable 3-1 win I've ever sat through. Because <laughs> Liverpool never makes anything easy. But we're going to international break, so no soccer for two weeks. Um, for Premier League, that is. Uh, top of the table. 11 <laughs> wins, one tie, still undefeated. That's 34 points out of 36. Again... Wow. It's early days, happy days, happy you days. You reversed it this early slowly. days. I know. Wow. But yeah, there you go. Exhilarating. There oh, we go. <laughs> so, uh, you're got what do you have?
0: Uh, I'm doing a sort of in-between type okay. thing. I have a true crime. Yes.
1: All right. Let's hear it.
0: Okay. So, our story begins. <laughs> take a sip of your wine our story begins with uh the gabrielino indigenous tribe in what is now los angeles county okay so california that's where we are um so the tribe was not originally called by this name but when spanish missionaries from the san gabriel mission came to convert them to christianity their old name was erased forgotten and they became known as the uh, Gabrielino tribe.
1: All right, so, they, but, so it was lost? Yes. Oh, that sucks.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure this happened to a lot of tribes, but yeah, so they don't know the actual name of this one. Um, so this tribe lived just near Turnbull Canyon, uh, which is filled with hiking trails and beautiful scenery. Um, however, the tribe refused to go there. (laughs) I wrote, (laughs) I miswrote some, I wrote, which is not filled (laughs) with hiking trails and beautiful scenery. (laughs) And I meant to say now, that tripped me up a little bit. Anyway, there's hiking trails and beautiful scenery. Um, but they refused to go there. So, um, their name for the canyon was Hutu, I really don't know how to pronounce it. Um, But it means the dark place, or in some translations, the place of the devil. Hmm. So, you know, that's great. Um, And so, understandably, this canyon was forbidden ground, and no indigenous person dared to set foot there. Okay. Then when the missionaries tried to convert these indigenous people to their religion, many of them decided, like, they didn't want to do that. And in response, uh, they were dragged to the canyon where they refused to set foot and forced to either join their religion or die. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, the missionaries thought that by making the people face their fears of the canyon, they'd be more willing to accept, quote, the faith that brought them there. Okay. Yeah. Um. But their plan had the exact opposite effect. Uh, The indigenous people accepted their fate. And one shaman even said to a Spanish soldier, quote, Now we are without hope. Now we remain for as long as the sun rises and sets in the sky. Okay. So all of the um, indigenous people that refused to Convert. convert were killed in that canyon. And it says that they remain there today.
1: So they were like thrown off into the canyon?
0: Um, I think that they were just, they were brought into the canyon already. And
1: then they just killed them.
0: Yeah. I don't think they were thrown or anything. Okay. Um, so in 1845, the Spanish governor of Alta, California, granted ownership of most of Whittier, which is like the town in which the canyon is placed, uh, to two white settlers. Okay. Uh, the men, John Rowland and William Workman, had emigrated from New Mexico, where they'd made a fortune in the fur trapping business. Okay. Uh, so, their land consisted of 49,000 acres, uh, and again, a lot of that was the canyon. All right. Um, and most of this, I don't know exactly what happened with Rowland, but Workman uh, was, like built a house there. He was like working the land. Um, and he was not well liked by the tribe at all.
1: Who have? Okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's some that still are still there. Yeah. All right. Um, so they would constantly raid his, his property. Um, and so as a result, workmen built a tunnel underground, uh, from his house or somewhere like from near his family graveyard, sort of, uh, so that he and his family could go there if they were being raided and be safe okay um later though uh he started hiring some indigenous people to work for him and a lot of their work they'd have to actually go into the tunnel and they often reported coming across ghosts and witches in the tunnel uh and i think it ended at the burial ground the family's burial ground all right is what i was trying to say um so i'm not really sure why there are witches but whatever Um, so Workman's ownership of the land did not last forever. He was involved in a plot to usurp the very governor who gave him the land. And that sort of started a whole domino effect, um, that he started a banking enterprise with his son-in-law. Then that failed miserably. He lost a lot of money and a lot of land. And then in 1876, he shot himself. Okay. So... I'm not exactly sure who the land went to after that, um, but in the years since connected to the indigenous folklore, uh, lots, of peop- lots of people that have visited the canyon report hearing the sound of war drums.
1: When did California become a state?
0: I don't know. All right. I don't even know, like, any, I don't know. Well, any you're talking place.
1: about Los, a- Los Angeles, so you would think that by... Before 1879, or whenever he shot, sh- shot himself,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it would have been a state. So the U.S. government would have taken it
0: oh. at some point. Okay, then so sure. It's we'll sp-
1: definitely a state. So, I mean, he would have had the land, but at some point when it became statehood, and that could have also caused problems for him. Mm-hmm. So if the governor still owned the other area and sold that to the United States, or part of the—I um, um, can't remember what word in California—
0: i'm looking it up
1: <laughs> well either way i get it but i mean he he definitely 1850 pla- okay so basically soon after that the land still could have been his mm-hmm. but the state would have been it yeah, would have been would have statehood been very- and then if he lost that money to other folks it doesn't mean that that spanish governor didn't also own mm-hmm. property but it would have been part of the united states
0: yeah okay that makes a lot more sense but anyway people here war drums uh, and they also feel as if they're being watched. Um, but this experience might be attributed to other things that have happened. Okay. Um, so that's basically the brunt of the indigenous history in this area. Okay. Now let's move on to another block of time. Uh, I think you could probably uh, dissect this, this canyon's history into three periods. The first All one right. being indigenous. Yep. The second one, which we're about to go into now, is the cult history. Okay. So um, so regardless of who owned the land, um, it sat largely unused until the Great Depression fell over America. All right. Rumors began to arise that a cult was operating in the canyon, uh, and this cult was allegedly made up of Satanists. okay? Yay. <laughs> Uh, So they were described as being, quote, a large group of men and women, no children, wearing robes as black as midnight and enacting strange rituals each night. Okay. Sounds pretty Satanist to me. It Um, could have been
1: just putting on plays.
0: (laughs) Theater kids? Maybe.
1: Shakespeare. In the park. In the dark.
0: Oh, no. No, no, no. Okay. So um, if it was Shakespeare, then... He's got some very interesting plays. So, um, because of the lack of money and food in many families around this time, um, a lot of children were given up for adoption by parents. Uh, so, the cult would then adopt these children and use them for human sacrifices.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs>
0: um, so, again, this was just rumor. Mm-hmm. Until a witness snuck up on their camp one night to watch one of their rituals. The witness saw a young boy, 12 years old at the most, strapped to a cross. Uh, At this point, the cross was lying flat on the ground, so he was also lying on the ground. He was in the middle of a ring of people who were dancing around him and chanting in an unfamiliar language. As they continued to chant, the intensity of their words increased. The robed figures began to lift the cross upright as the boy struggled and cried out. His yells, however, were muffled by the rough cloth that had been stuffed in his mouth. Okay. The figures lowered the cross to the ground again and then hoisted it up the other way. So now he's upside down. Mm-hmm. Upside down cross. mm mm-hmm. um, The witness realized at that moment that the cult was a Satanist organization.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: So the cultists began to strike the boy though it was unclear whether they had any weapons in their hands. Okay. So I guess maybe just using him as a punching bag? I'm not quite sure. Um, But regardless, the witness saw blood flying out of him from every direction as they continued to punch and kick him. All right. Um, After some time, they stopped, and the boy was still breathing. But the cultists stuffed him into a sack and tossed him into the back of a wagon, leading him out of sight deeper into the canyon. Okay. The witness rushed back into town and told anyone who would listen about what he just saw, but the majority of the townspeople didn't even believe him, which is fair. Right. Um, but then a few months later, the town was hit with a rash of kidnappings and disappearances, uh, and people were starting to think, hey, maybe these kidnappings could be this cult.
1: It was all ages or just children?
0: I think it was just children. Huh. Um, but it could be all ages. All it, right. The site was pretty vague. Okay. Um, so the witnesses' story suddenly seemed to ring true, and the townspeople gathered up their pitchforks and other <laughs> types of torches, stuff like that, Right. Um, and headed to the canyon. Okay. However, by the time they arrived, the cult was gone, never to be seen again. Okay. <laughs> or so we think. Okay. Oh, all right. Uh, in recent years, graffiti has been found saying things like, die, Jesus. Um, and some of them, some people have attributed this to cult activity, but then other people think that it's just like teenagers spray painting, graffitiing, whatever. Was it written a
1: hundred times? Oh no, sorry. Go ahead. Go
0: ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, actually it was. Oh, okay. Um All how right, do you good. mention that? Yeah. Um No, so yeah, graffiti, blah blah blah. It's not likely that it actually is cultists. Yeah. Um, maybe people who have just read the stories and want to freak others out. Fair enough. Um and then people have experienced the ghosts of children swinging from trees, uh, perhaps the bodies of the cult victims. And apparently if you look at them too long Um, they'll open their eyes and stare at you with, quote, silent accusation. Huh. So that's very haunting to think about. Um, But it's interesting that they're seen in trees when I guess we don't ever know what happens to any of these children. Yeah. Um, But even though the cult has long since left the canyon, people still report seeing bonfires and black hooded figures at night.
1: Hmm.
0: However the canyon there's also a bunch of like party spots so So it's a hangout spot yeah even though um, they actually have police or small town rangers or rangers like circling the canyon at night so that you don't go in yeah um i mean people still go in but apparently they look for flashlights so if you go on a full moon and don't bring a flashlight you're great you're good um that's basically the cult history okay then our third chunk is the asylum history
1: in a canyon.
0: In a canyon.
1: Okay, let's hear it.
0: <laughs> so, um, pretty soon after the cult had vacated the canyon, uh, an asylum was built there.
1: You got to be kidding.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, um, patients were taken in from the surrounding area, which was called Puente Hills. All right. Possibly. Um, and not much is known about the treatments that were administered with What the what assembly. years? I'm are, about to tell you. Okay. Um, though many believe that torture did occur there. And so this was basically right after the cult left, so this is still the 1930s. All right. Um, so I don't know how great it was in the 1930s, but I'm willing to bet it wasn't that great. No. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, so the asylum was not around for too long. (laughs) Uh, in the 1940s, it burned down in a mysterious fire. Okay. Uh, and I couldn't find anything to suggest that people died in the fire. All it it just said that the building was burned. Um, and the ruins are still there. Um, but people who go there often report strange and dark feelings. (laughs) Um, they say that they're overwhelmed with a sense of fear and panic And some have reported feeling as though, quote, someone is reaching inside your brain and gently caressing what they find there. Ugh. Yeah. Um. So in the early 1960s, uh, a group of teens ventured into the canyon to get high. Okay. Uh, They came across the asylum and began exploring. All right. One of the boys found an old electric shock treatment device. And thought it would be really funny if he strapped himself into it. Okay. Um, As he was doing that, he jokingly shouted to his friends that he was going to burn. And then he did.
1: Oh, come on.
0: Though there was no electricity in the building, and there hadn't been for decades, uh, the boy began shrieking as if thousands of volts were coursing through his body. And some accounts say that his friends watched as, like, his flesh started, like, burning. This really happened. And... Well, I... <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a legend. <laughs> All right. But anyway, back to the burning boy. Um, so his friends watched helplessly as he began to smolder. And the boy ended up dying. And nobody knows how the electricity was even able to run. All right. Um, I, I don't know if it actually happened. There. I'm going to bet that it probably didn't. Um, but it, it makes it a lot more interesting. if It, it did. does. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so going back a little bit, in 1952, this is now we're out of the asylum. Yep. This is just some more occurrences that have mm-hmm. happened. Um, in 1952, a plane crashed into the canyon. Ooh. Uh, according to legend, 21 children were on board and all of them were killed. Uh, the plane went down because the pilot had a medical restriction against him, but he still was flying and he had a heart attack in the middle of the flight. Huh. Um, but one man has come out to say that his grandfather died on the flight and that there were not 21 children aboard at all. And that was just like through word of mouth it became this tragic child thing.
1: Well, again, I mean, just a plane crashing in the canyon just adds to the myth. That's very true.
0: Um... But, yeah, so he says, like, it was just a regular plane. So, yeah, fun stuff. Uh, And then in the mid-1970s, a boy named Joey Schwartz disappeared from his home near the canyon. Uh, Two or so years later, his skull was found, like, inside of the canyon.
1: Just his skull.
0: Just his skull that I know of. Okay. Um, The family had combed the area for weeks after his initial disappearance, but had found nothing, and his death is still unsolved. and a lot of people say like oh he was like a druggie blah blah blah. he must have like overdosed and then a lot of his close friends have come out saying that he wasn't at all addicted to anything and it was just really strange that he disappeared Hmm. um but unsolved um yeah then uh in 2002 a 17 year old girl named gloria gexolia was murdered in the canyon or by the canyon Um, She was shot on Turnbull Canyon Canyon Road and then dragged behind a car down that road for five miles.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah.
0: Luckily, police caught her killers and justice was delivered. Uh, But it's just another, like, creepy, awful in this area. Uh, And then in 2005, uh, a motorcycle officer was struck and killed by drifters and that's, this road, Turnbull Canyon Road, is super popular among drifters. It's, like, very windy, and I don't know anything about drifting, but it's...
1: You mean the, the, the race the race car? Yeah. yeah, 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 okay.
0: So, you're not actually supposed to be drifting right, right there. Right. But, yeah, so lots of stuff happening there. Um, and so then I did some digging for, like, personal experiences that people had. Uh, and so I got one about a guy who watched dogs walk up to him in his car, uh, and the dogs just started staring at him and then disappeared uh-huh. into thin air. Uh, and then he started hearing barking and chanting with no identifiable source. Huh. And I don't think he uh, was actually in the canyon yet. I think he was parked, like, right outside it right, when right, right. this happened. Um, and then in 2008... Uh, A profile on Unexplained Mysteries uh, posted this story about something that happened to him there. Um, So, he said that this happened way, way back, I think in the 90s or something, um, when he was a senior in high school. And he and his girlfriend and two of their friends decided to go into the canyon at night. Because, yeah. Yeah, I mean... I think. SMRT. Yeah. The two friends, I think, were were visiting from somewhere and they Mm -hmm. were looking for a cheap trail or whatever. And so this guy was like, hey, there's this canyon and it's supposed to be all creepy and stuff. Let's go check it out. Right. So um, they start walking to the canyon. They park their car. They walk down the trail. And in the canyon, there's this spot. It's called The Spot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. And it's basically a hangout for teens whatever they go there hang out whatever. uh so they're walking down the trail heading towards the spot uh when they start hearing this chanting from behind them up the trail where they had come from right and uh it sounds sort of aggressive he said it sounded like uh in the military when they're like sir yes sir like that kind of intensity yeah Um, but he said he didn't know what the language, like what the language was. He didn't recognize it. Oh, wow. And nobody recognized it in their group either. Right. Um, so they were freaked out by this, obviously. Yeah. And they were like, well, they're coming from where we were, so we can't go back to the car because then we'll run into them. Right. So they're like, okay, we're just going to continue down to the spot. (laughs) So they do. Um, as they're going, they can hear the voices behind them still. It sounds as if they're getting closer and closer. And they finally make it to the spot. And they go and they uh, sort of hide behind some bushes so they can view the trail. Uh, and so they wait a little bit. And um, they hear the chanting go closer and closer yeah. until it's basically right in front of them. Right. And they see these cloaked figures come out in front of them in the trail. Um, and they start doing this weird dance, tr- like... Trance type yeah. thing, um, and the the student, the high schoolers are like, "What are we gonna do?" Like, yeah. the, if they see us, these must be like the cultists, and then they start hearing police sirens in the distance, huh. and then the police come, yeah, and they hear the police like running down the trail. They see flashlights everywhere. The cultists scatter, right? Um, and strangely, the none of the cultists go towards the spot. and so while this is happening they're like they turn off their flashlight. they're like hunkering down like so the police don't find them because they're not technically supposed to be there and they turn and they see some backpacks in the spot um just totally normal gear right and it wasn't any of theirs that had just been there so they're freaked out like whose gear was this like why do they leave it here blah 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 Uh, but at the same time they don't want to get discovered so they're just being all hush hush and then they see one of the police officers come down with his flashlight and he gets almost towards them and then goes away. Okay. And then they, as soon as they're sure that nobody's there, they run back up the path to the car. Right. And they find this plastic baggie. Um. So, yeah, they found this bag that had some rocks and some sort of plant. And then there was something that was clearly blood. Hmm. Uh, and so they were freaking out, and they just blast out of the canyon on their car. They're gone. And then they, as they're driving along, they see no police cars or anything, um, and they didn't see anything in the news or anything about police coming to this canyon and these cultists or anything, and no evidence to suggest that it ever really happened. Hmm. And that was their experience. Hmm and so clearly a lot of people commented on this post like saying oh that's bullshit <laughs> uh, which it very well may be, um, but
1: oh i mean it could just be one of those like you know it it, it happened in the you know and it was just the spectral uh, yeah some people were saying like some it.
0: kind of like residual yeah. reenactment of something yeah um but very strange a lot of people have witnessed like these cultists coming stuff like that um i read stuff about people a lot of stuff with, like, them parking and then finding stuff by their car. Yeah, yeah. Um, But a lot of ghosty things and a lot of su- seemingly it, physical things. And a lot of people were saying, like, how could it be a haunting if they find this baggie by their car and they find, like, that hiking gear? That sounds well, like something Well, I mean, they didn't touch real. it, so how
1: do they know if it was real?
0: That's very true.
1: So, I mean, it could just still spin a different point in time and just the, the like you said, the residual um, yeah, occurrence. I'd,
0: it's very weird. Um, But that's Turnbull Canyon. Technically, you're not supposed to be going there at night. Um, But you can hike during the day. It's beautiful trails and stuff. Check it out if you want. Um, Wow. But that's, yeah.
1: That's I mean, I can understand all the teenagers going through. I mean, it makes sense and everything else like that. That's a good one, though. Like, that's good. It's a good, you know, on your... Your horror bucket list that you put out. I'm <laughs> like, oh, I'm gonna check this one out.
0: Yeah, definitely. If if only for the view. <laughs> yeah. Right. Definitely go check that and out. what
1: was it? What's the what canyon again? Tur- Turnbull Canyon. Turnbull in Canyon. Whittier, All right. Here, California. All right. Huh. All right. Well, there you go then. <laughs> check it out. Cool. All right. So my story is true crime. It is a serial killer story. It takes place in the UK, 40s, 50s. Um, And what's interesting about this is that when I was researching it, I kind of just said, I I Googled just most baffling crimes. I was trying to find something that I've never heard of, which this one was one I never heard of. And then the other thing is on one of the, um, in that list that I found of just, you know, baffling true crimes (laughs) or whatever, um, it had a similar feel to like The Devil in the White City in the sense that um, there was... An event going on around the time hmm. that kind of hid this like aspect of it. Yeah, so like you know, with the Ooh. the World Fair was kind of what everybody was preoccupied with, or I shouldn't right. say preoccupied, but their intention was with was towards that. And then you know, what else was going on? It's kind of like I mean, there's there's this other one that I might do in the future about World War Two, about a killer that I found um, in Paris, but. um, So this is where I was like, oh, you know what? Delvin White City kind of feel. This is kind of cool. So I'm going to start with the event. All right. On December 5th through 9th of 1952, London kind of had this perfect weather storm. It's not even... It's climate. A climate event. Um, There was an anti-cyclone. And what that really means is that a weather patterns surrounded the city and the way the wind blows it I can't remember if it's clockwise or counterclockwise, but it creates this atmospheric these weird atmospheric conditions where cold air gets trapped on the lower atmosphere Ooh. and warm air is on the top and it just stands still because the way the winds circling it's not like a tornado it's just it's just stagnant. Okay? Huh. And I think we've, there's been like the, you know, when you get the bombogenesis, when we when we have winter storms here, sometimes it the, 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 a storm will get trapped and the snow will just come over and over and over again.
0: Interesting.
1: It's like, a, it's just one of these weird things. So again, I think people use crazy names these days just to get attention. But this happened over that period of time. And because the temperatures were so cold in London, people were basically burning, or sending around their stoves to keep warm. And at mm-hmm. the time, the, the fuel was coal, Ooh. right? So, That's the, not good. well, the problem was, you know, World War II ended, you know, in 45, mm-hmm. and there was still, you know, the, the amount of money, everything else, there was, there was definitely a depression, you know, there was an issue, recession, whatever you want to call it. Right. But most of the good coal, like good black coal, was being um, exported out to other countries because they could pay for it. So Mm. most Londoners and most folks, the poor mostly, couldn't pay for the good coal. So they they actually bought brown coal. And brown coal was considered um, at a higher concentration of releasing carbon monoxide. I mean, basically, everything that's bad about it, it's just not a healthy coal. It's got more, I don't want to say carcinogens, but it's just not healthy. And because Mm. it doesn't emit as much heat, you burn more of it. Oh, no. So there's this anti-cyclone air mass trapped. People are burning coal like crazy, and it's getting trapped in this atmosphere. It can't escape because the heat above is stopping it from leaving. Mm-hmm. Then you have the car pollution, factory pollution, and Basically, they call it the Great Fog or Great Smog of 1952, and they said the whole
0: like walk into manholes and stuff.
1: Well, they also the whole thing about peace supers. This is what it was like. They called it a peace super event, and it was that thick that to your point, you couldn't really see or whatever it was, and um, it it just made this this world of people dealing with you know I'm freezing, I need to burn more coal, Um, I can't see, you know what's going on, that kind of thing, right the They believed that over six thousand people died <gasps> because of this um fog smog, right, And not you know instantaneously because after it lifted, you know, when this anticyclone cyclone left, but just it was mostly the elderly and children who had oh. or people with bad respiratory problems. but you know, they didn't see it till some of them was months later later, weeks later, whatever. I mean, it took a while before everyone died, but in all, they did a, a report later that they believed they, they could... they could. It was something like 6,000. Now, within the diameter of this anticyclone, there's a, uh, a section of London called Notting Hill. It's in West London. Mm-hmm. And in Notting Hill, there's a uh, flat at 10 Rillington Place. Mm-hmm. And It was already infamous before the great smog hit Rillington Place. Okay. In the upstairs flat lived Timothy and Beryl Evans. Beryl was pregnant with her first child. The Evans had moved in on Easter Monday around 1948. Beryl gave birth to her daughter Geraldine in October of 48. On December 2nd, 1949, the bodies of Beryl and Geraldine would be discovered in the back garden. They both had been strangled. (gasps) Timothy would confess to the murders of this family and be hanged on March 9th, 1950. Oh my God. However, there is much more to this address as six more bodies would be discovered at 10 Rillington Place. Whoa. This is the story of the Rillington Strangler, also known as the Beast of Rillington.
0: I do not know this one.
1: Okay. So my sources are... Wikipedia, uh, biography did a great thing. Murderpedia, radio times. Um, and then I found out after the fact that there have been a bunch of movies based on it. And then a mini series that just recently was, uh, on, um, BBC, I don't think America, I think it's BBC, um, uh, four or something like that. But, uh, it was, um, oh my god, I can't remember the, the lead actress. We just, we just were talking about her in the past, um, about something, but, um, mm-hmm. It got critical claim oh. for it, so. Something
0: so, to check out, I guess.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if we can get it. I think it, I'm trying to find it if we can watch it, because I kind of want to see it now.
0: Those darn Brits and their good television we yeah, can't access. Exactly.
1: All right, so let's go into the crime timeline.
0: Crime timeline!
1: Timothy Evans was born in Wales in 1924. Okay. His father abandoned Timothy before he was even born. Oh, he struggled mightily in school he had a difficult time even learning to speak so he was definitely behind um, and then at the age of eight he hurt his foot and then he got some weird disease so that kept him out of school so just that just made it worse for him Aww. he was getting further and further behind um, by the time he reached adulthood his literacy skills were pretty poor um, I think he could his reading level was was pretty much at the comic book level um, and then he just loved to read about you know football and sports that kind of thing um he had very low self-esteem because mm-hmm. of his uh you know i guess his learning disabilities and was actually known to brag then and boast about his accomplishments to overcompensate so oh. very much peter and the wolf kind of thing
0: how is that peter and the wolf doesn't he just be like a trickster
1: he just lies about everything and then it's
0: not boasting is it
1: Well, if you're lying, okay, you're right. Fair enough. Um, Peter and the Wolf. (laughs) My mistake. I always looked at Peter the Wolf as just that. You're always saying something's gonna happen, and you're trying to be so cool and trying to be, you know, big man on campus, and none of it's true.
0: Weird class clown type thing.
1: Have you never read Peter and the Wolf?
0: He tells everyone like there's a wolf, and then there there never is. And and I've seen it, and and I so he's boasting about seeing
1: a wolf and this thing, and and then you know it's coming and.
0: I don't know if it was really boasting.
1: Fair enough. All right. Well, I, agree disagree lies.
0: there. Okay, agree <laughs> Well,
1: anyway, of course, his lying and boasting caused his credibility to pretty much suffer. and
0: There we go. See? Credibility.
1: And he had, uh, you know, he was in, in the run-in with the authorities and things like that. So, of course, they always questioned what he was saying was true or not, or it'd be hard to believe everything. Um, so basically, you know, he had the verbal and logic skills of a, you know, teenager, maybe, you know, I don't, I don't even know. And how old is he at this point? Well, he's graduated. Like, I mean, he's, he's now an adult by this point. Um, I guess he graduated. I shouldn't even say, I don't even know if he did graduate. Um, he worked odd jobs, mostly after school. He was a painter. Um, he would end up moving home a lot. So I think he had three different stints where he tried to be on his own and then end up coming home. Uh, his mother had remarried, uh, I, I want to say maybe maybe it was more than once, but had remarried a couple times, uh, I think. And, then, um, and Timothy wasn't really well-received by the husband, because he's like, this is a grown man, why are you living at home? Mm-hmm. Um, but he would get in trouble with police, like I said before, but mostly for petty crimes. I mean, he did steal some cars, but they never put him in jail because of just his mental capacity. Just, you know, it was like, up oh, Timothy. Um, but by 1946, his mother had moved to Notting Hill. And again, now Timothy's living with her. In January of 1947, he went on a blind date with a Beryl Susan Thorley. Hmm. And within nine months, in September, late September of 47, they were married. And as newlyweds, they lived, of course, with Timothy's parents. Ah. In early forty eight. Beryl was pregnant with their first child and you know they're like we can't live in this one room type thing with my parents so we got to find a flat right so Easter Monday 48 they moved into the upstairs flat of 10 Wellington place and throughout their stay at Wellington place they were known and heard to argue and fight a lot. And usually it was because of Beryl's handling of the finances and her house cleaning. I guess the place was a pigsty. Um, They just could not manage money well. And Timothy was no saint either. He would drink heavily, hit the pub. So they were always short on money, you know, for rent. Right. Um, And it was known that Timothy had a very short temper. And most of the neighbors could hear them arguing daily. Oh. And then the arguing became both physical <gasps> and mental. Well, I mean, it was already mentally phys- from the yelling, right. but by both of them, it wasn't Timothy or it was both of them, you know, they believed. Interesting. The tipping point seemed to happen in 49 when Beryl was pregnant with her second child and they were already s- and having, you know, trouble making ends meet. Mm-hmm. So Beryl wanted to have an abortion and Timothy was not in the Like, he didn't want that. He didn't believe in it. um, But he reluctantly agreed. However, at the time, abortions were illegal, Mm. and they didn't have money to go to a private doctor or anything else like that. So they were kind of between a rock and a hard place. In early November, the shouting and fighting had stopped at Wellington Place. And then neighbors had thought, hey, maybe Evans had moved because they hadn't seen him. But that was short-lived because then finally they did see Timothy come back into the residence. But no geraldine oh. no barrel the neighbors started to get a little suspicious yeah on november 30th timothy reported to the authorities that his wife had died oh my and God. i think mainly because people are like where's your wife where's your wife where's your wife <laughs> we're gonna go to the police so he
0: he went to the police he went first. to the police first
1: <laughs> 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 originally he confessed that he had given his wife some medicine he received from someone that would help abort the fetus mm. he then said he disposed of the body in the sewer near 10 rillington place he told them that he had arranged for Geraldine to be looked, af- uh, looked after um, and then, you know, he had left for Wales. So he was actually in Wales after that. The police searched the sewers and found nothing and they were kind of like, look, the- even like the manhole covers would take three people to move. So there's no way he could have right. done this by himself. When he was re-questioned, he said that a neighbor had offered to perform the abortion and then when he asked who, he said he wouldn't mention it and why he lied before. He said, well, it was illegal. I didn't want my neighbor to get in trouble. Uh-huh. That neighbor uh-huh. lived downstairs in the same flat, and his name was John Reginald Christie, and his wife was Ethel. The police okay. searched the neighbor's flat and their surroundings, uh, their back garden and everything like that, found nothing. <sighs> Reg cooperated with the he went by. It was John Reginald Christie. He went by Reg. Okay. Reg cooperated with the police, and upon a second search of 10 Wellington Place in December, they found the bodies of Beryl and Geraldine wrapped in tablecloths in the watershed in the back garden.
0: Oh, my God.
1: On their third questioning of Evans, he confessed that he strangled his family. Oh, my God. And at first, he said, actually, just strangled Beryl. He didn't strangle Geraldine.
0: Well, then what happened to Geraldine? Exactly.
1: So, Reg and the other neighbors were witnesses at his trial. Um, Evans would be convicted and hanged in March of 1950. Whoa. Now, the Christies were, and the neighbors were like, holy crap, you yeah. know, kind of shaken from this event. The Christie's had been there since 1937. They first lived upstairs and then they moved downstairs in 38. Reg was like a post office clerk and he was a special constable during the war. Basically a volunteer police person during the war. Okay. Um, he, was an, uh, he was an amateur gardener and he was tending to his garden most weekends. And when the smog hit in like 52, mm-hmm. he really tried to. Salvage's garden, oh, and people were like laughing, dry. and I'm like, "What are you doing? You know, it's you. It's pea soup. What do you, you, you know? And why would you even eat anything that may have been contaminated with these pollutants?" Soon after the smog disappeared, many neighbors were suffering also again from the respiratory, you right. know, issues, and then the neighbors noticed that. Ethel Christie had disappeared.
0: Oh my God.
1: And Reg explained that she had been suffering from the smog and recently developed severe arthritis. So she couldn't even take the medicine she needed to take. So she was staying with her family in Sheffield until, you know, she could get better. So Reg then also, I don't know if he used this as an excuse, but he said he had to quit his postal job and he was starting to take unemployment benefits. Um, So to make ends meet, he looked to rent out the upstairs flat.
0: Oh my God.
1: So Within the next three months, he had rented and you know, to just anyone who needed a place. So, three women in that period of time rented: uh, Rita Nelson, 25 in January, in February, a Kathleen Maloney, 26, and in March, a Hectorine McLennan, also 26. Oh, no, and then in late March, he rented it to a family. Um, however. Reg did not have the right to rent the flat upstairs because he didn't own the flat upstairs.
0: I was thinking that. does seemed a little weird to me. Yeah.
1: So the landlord came in that same day that I got. he had rented the flat upstairs to find a family there. And he's like, what the? Get out. There's no way. Tomorrow, get out of here. And oh. he went down to Reg and he's like, what are you doing? Get out. So Reg is kicked out of his apartment.
0: Yeah, I don't understand what he thought was gonna happen there.
1: Uh, he wanted he had to make he had no money, remember?
0: Yeah, but like he's there's I there's know. no backup for him.
1: So the tenant that was um, well, the landlord then rented the the flat at least upstairs to a new tenant, which is why he was at the place because he was checking on it and everything like mm-hmm. that. But because the place upstairs was kind of like in disrepair and because it had been uh, rented for such so a long period of time, right. um, he allowed. Uh, the tenant to use the downstairs kitchen oh. because you know, that's what it, is. so the ten- tenant was like, okay, well I'm going to use this kitchen. He's kind of living there until the upstairs gets fixed. And you know, he's starting to fix places up and he's starting to hang something in the kitchen. And he gets to this one place where there's like, you know, a wall cover paper, wallpaper and everything like that. And he goes to put like a shelf and it goes right through the wall. <gasps> what he realizes is that it was just wallpapered over. And when he gets through it's an alcove <gasps> and he finds the three bodies of Nelson Maloney and McClennan.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Immediately, there is a search out for Reg Christie.
0: Yeah, good.
1: So, during the uh, manhunt, the police returned to Burlington Place, and while inspecting the garden, they found the bodies of two other women.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Ruth First, who's 21 years old, and she had been missing since August of 1943, and Muriel Amelia Eadie, 31, who had been missing since October of
0: 1944. Whoa.
1: They then inspected the downstairs flat where they found the body of Ethel Christie underneath the floorboards.
0: Oh my God.
1: The cause of death of all the bodies? Strangulation.
0: Strangulation.
1: (gasps) Reg didn't really hide himself while he was on, not, I don't think he knew he was on a land, but while he was running that way. Oh my God. And just use his name at the hotels, like as it was.
0: Nice. Smart. S-M-R-T.
1: So a cop actually recognized him at some point. And then arrested him immediately. Good. During his arrest, he admitted to the murders of his wife and the three women he found in the alcove.
0: Okay. So
1: After about- further questioning about the bodies that they found in the garden, right? he finally admitted to them too. Oh my God. He then explained how he killed all the women except his wife. He used this gas technique where he basically had... Uh, uh, he either filled the room with gas on the first woman... And she died by carbon monoxide poisoning. I'm not sure how he didn't. And then um, the other woman, I think he just killed outright. Um, ethel, he strangled in his bed. But the other, the last three women, they were suffering from sm- that smog respiratory issue. So he said, oh, I have a cure. <gasps> Actually, take that back. He had a he. This uh, one of the women, the second woman, had a bronchitis problem. He's like, oh, I have this cure. Oh. And he basically rigged in this gas thing into a jar where the women would put their. It would be covered in, you know, a mask or something and with the jar and in. breathing in and then get knocked unconscious. I I
0: do know this. I think they covered it on uh, My Favorite Murder.
1: Well, he basically then raped the women while <gasps> they were con- unconscious. Um, and then, of course, during that period of time when they found all this information out of how he did it and what he was doing, he would take the women. He would then wrap them in tablecloth.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And then keep them in the shed before burying him in the garden when he had a chance or putting him in the floorboards until he had a time to dispose of the bodies.
0: So the other two were him and they executed an innocent man?
1: Absolutely.
0: No! This is why I'm against the frickin' death penalty, y'all.
1: So it was discovered that his marriage to Ethel became more a one of convenience than, you know, true love. He was impotent, basically. Oh. And, um he was only aroused when his wife was either passed out or if she was, I guess, unconscious. Um, and then they found out he had a criminal record even earlier in his marriage. He actually served time and uh, for like petty theft and um, oh. embezzlement. Um, he would never confess to Geraldine's murder, though, because he didn't want the stigma of being a child killer or if he went to prison, what could happen to him in prison.
0: Dude, um, everyone knows...
1: <laughs> But again, the evidence pointed that he killed Geraldine yeah. as well because they found Geraldine's body with uh, a Yeah. At the trial, he pleaded insanity. Oh, my God. The jury deliberated for 85 minutes. Okay. Rejected his plea, and he was convicted of all the murders and sentenced to death. Yes. He was hanged on July 15th, 1953. Wow. Now, others believe that he was responsible for more deaths. So they just thought about other missing people and things like that but they actually brought in um profilers and other folks in and they had found pubic hair from four different they believe four different people um and he thought they were keeping them as trophies and they could only match one to his wife but the profilers at the end were saying like look he was, he killed in his house only. Like that. that's where his Ooh. safe space was. Like he had to be here, he wouldn't have gone out. And so if they didn't find any more bodies or anything else there, um, then chances are he wasn't responsible for the murders of these missing, uh, missing people. Wow. So now the conviction execution of Timothy Evans for the murders of his family, it was revisited. There was an inquiry about it, um, both by public and private mm. um, during the investigation uh The police were completely vilified because while they were searching the garden, mm-hmm. they found a thigh bone holding up part of the fence of the flat of his place oh my God they didn't do any research on Christie to find that he may have had a criminal record. They never searched the watershed the first time they were there either.
0: oh my God, and the
1: only people who get into that watershed was uh Ethel and uh, reg, and Ethel actually kept a like there was a you had a like Use like it wasn't a key. There was like a knife that had to open up this thing to oh like unlock God. it and like that. So they could have stopped this really Way early, earlier, Yeah, but they blew it completely. I think I
0: remember completely. the thigh bone thing from my yeah, favorite market. Which
1: is like insane because they just never thought to like look in the garden after that. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, And then Timothy had left. Like he basically arranged with Reg to <gasps> perform this abortion. Um, and he said, "I will have Geraldine go somewhere else." And he immediately he just said, "Okay, she'll take. They're gonna take her. Go, you should leave." And he left for Wales. <gasps> so they, when they started to piece back even the timeline, because of I think when they did the autopsy of the body and everything like that, he wasn't even in.
0: Oh my! The God. country. So why did he confess?
1: Because his they th- believe he was um, coerced into confession because <gasps> he again he didn't have the mental capacity. Oh, yeah. To d- to deal with it. Oh no. Um. So. After two official inquiries, then they uh, the Evans received um, a posthumous pardon in 1966. Aww. This allowed the family to reclaim the the body and then bury him in a private grave. Um, it also paved the way for the, sus- the suspension of execution in the UK in 1965. So during the inquiries, and then later it would be abolished in 1969. But they used Good. this specific case as the reason because they knew. They executed an They're innocent wrong. man. Yeah. yeah. Oh but my god. But that's the story <gasps> of the Rillington Strangler or the Beast of Rillington Place. Wow. Yeah. So I yeah. had
0: really forgotten that one. Like completely out of my mind. That was a wild ride. <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was trying to set it up so I could talk about Timothy and then bring in this. Other
0: yeah. Thing <laughs> no, that was really well done. But
1: you should see. Like, I want to watch the show. The guy. Yeah. The guy who plays. Uh, um. Reg in the series is the I can't remember his character. He was in um he was a Harry Potter. He was like the mousy guy, like the shorter dude. Like he, if you saw him, I can't remember his. You would he's a famous actor. Filch. I can't remember. I I I, the only reason I'm trying to use it because he's been in other things that you haven't seen. That I was like, oh, you would know him from this, but I know you haven't seen him in that. I'll show you the picture, but he uh uh, but yeah, it it was crazy. I knew nothing about the story, so when I was reading it. And uh, it, it wasn't this, you know, most crazy crimes. Um, wow. But they were talking about how he was this notorious serial killer. And the smog was the key part because, like, he killed those four women in a very short period of time. Within four months, he killed his wife and those other three. Wow, yeah. But because the smog, no one was really
0: paying attention. Paying attention at oh, all. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. That was amazing. All right. Let's wow. Get the fun facts then. All right, so this week somebody actually sent us a fun fact. So cool. thank you, Sarah. Um, okay, so it says, the color red doesn't make bulls angry. They are colorblind. <laughs> so the whole like red banner thing. Yeah, no, I got isn't real. Yeah, okay. That's a good one. I didn't know that. That's I did not know
1: that, but, huh. That was All good. right. If there you, you want to send a longer one. <laughs> Fair enough
0: um thank you sarah uh and then if you want to send a longer one you can submit it to our gmail uh which is everything in podcast at gmail.com you can also submit it to our website which is www.everythingpodcast.weebly.com um also if you like have got suggestions or you've experienced a true crime or paranormal event send it there we'd love to read it uh we are on social media we're on instagram at everything in podcast on twitter at between underscore podcast and on facebook we have a group and a page both by the name of everything in between podcast and if you want to see the exorcist stairs that's where you'll find them <laughs> yes uh and also <laughs> if you're listening on apple podcasts please 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 rate review and subscribe super super helpful and you know gives us validation yep um and then lastly all of our episodes are titled with song titles which we compiled into a playlist called the soundtrack in between and it's a pretty good mix so definitely check it out good for road trips good for yeah for thanksgiving it. weekend exactly if you're driving, if you're town. You're driving get ready um so definitely check that out and i think that is it yeah i think so all right well then until next week thank you very much and goodbye
1: bye